gather this evening in Numbers, uh, the first half of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Numbers chapter 5, and if you're using the Bible provided by the church, you will find it on page 139, page 139, starting from the front of the Bible moving forward. The first five books of the Bible were written by Moses, that great servant of God. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy uh, are to some degree biographical in that uh, they concern the era in which he lived uh, and led Uh, For the most part, the church, the people of God, out of Egypt, uh, their slavery to sin, and into the wilderness, uh, where the Lord spoke to them first from the mountain, and then from the tabernacle, and ultimately leading them uh, towards the land of Canaan, but not into the land of promise. So here now in Numbers chapter 5, we read from verse 5, and we're dealing with an application here of the Ten Commandments uh, to everyday life. Uh, And um, let's read then, page 139. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way, And so is unfaithful to the Lord. That person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it all to the person he has wronged. But if that person has no close relative to whom restitution can be made for the wrong, The restitution belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest along with the ram with which atonement is made for him. All the sacred contributions the Israelites bring to a priest will belong to him. Each man's sacred gifts are his own, but what he gives to the priest will belong to the priest And I actually want us to turn back then to Leviticus, page 106, which is dealing with the same um, principles or application of um, the law of God, the commandments, the demonstration of how the people of God will live. Faith manifests itself in works in works, in life. Leviticus 6, sorry, yes, Leviticus 6, page 106. The Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving his neighbor about something entrusted to him or left in his care or stolen or if he cheats him or if he finds lost property and lies about it, or if he swears falsely, or if he commits any such sin that people may do, 
When he thus sins and becomes guilty, he must return what he has stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to him, or the lost property he found, or whatever it was he swore falsely about. He must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day he presents his guilt offering. And as a penalty he must bring to the priest, that is to the Lord, his guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way the priest will make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any of these things he did that made him guilty. And then we turn to First John in the New Testament. Turn the second half of the Bibles, your Bible, uh, page 1225. First uh, John uh, chapter 1. John writes about the Christ who came from heaven and lived as the man Jesus of Nazareth and who was the fulfillment of all those sacrifices of the Old Testament, the shedding of human blood for human sin. That which was from the beginning, the Christ in other words, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And he was referred to, Christ was referred to as the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy or your joy complete. This is the message we have heard from the beginning, or from him, and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, Yet walk in the darkness, we lie, and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Amen. Well, at this stage, we are going to seek the Lord in prayer.
And if you are able to stand, then we invite you to do so as we come to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we are confronted this evening again with your holiness. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In you there is no iniquity, there is no sin. You are pure, you are holy, you are righteous. You are righteous in your nature. You are eternal in your being. And in your existence, without beginning and without end, we are made. We are creatures. We are those who have been shaped from the dust of the earth. We have fallen into sin with Adam and we commit in our hearts and from our hearts all uh, manner of sin against you and against one another. We thank you this evening that the message of the Bible is that with God there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We thank you that that forgiveness was proclaimed from the day in which man first sinned. We thank you that then and there in the Garden of Eden, Eden, there was the shedding of the blood for the remission of sin. Not that the blood of animals purchases the forgiveness of our sins, but in that day and age, Before the coming of the sinless man Jesus, it pointed forward to the shedding of his blood. And so we thank you tonight for him who is from the beginning. Him who is without beginning and without end. We thank you for him whom the apostle John and Peter and the other apostles saw and bore witness to, and touched, and heard, and wrote about, and preached about. We thank you that they knew the Christ in their hearts. They proclaimed him with love and with fervor after his resurrection from the dead, when they realized the true significance of his coming. We thank you for these words that we've read, that in him alone, is the forgiveness of sins. That his blood keeps on cleansing from all sin and all unrighteousness. Lord, tonight we who are your people, we lament the fact that we are still too much in our sin. We have not forsaken it enough. We have not put it to death in all its manifestations. We've been too casual about it. And we have not seen it with the uh, eyes that you see it. Something that is heinous in your sight. O God, give us a sense of the gravity of our sin. Give us a commitment 
to die to sin that remains within us, to become more and more like Jesus, to be metamorphosizing, becoming like him, just like the insect that changes, is transformed. Lord, we pray that you would make us holy as you are holy. We pray for any in our midst this evening who have not yet known the touch, the cleansing touch of Christ, who do not know the joy of sins forgiven, that you would deal in mercy and grace with such to the praise of your glory. Give us ears now to hear what you would say to us this evening, hearts to receive it, and wills to embrace it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening I want to speak for a short time on the basis of Numbers 5. Leviticus 6 and 1 John 1 on the theme that we've indicated in the order of service, sin must be paid for or sin must be dealt with. That's a very important truth for those of us who are believers who say we are saved by Christ That we never forget that great reality. The cost of our sin being cancelled. And for those of you this evening who are not yet um, a Christian. Not yet made new. uh, A new person through Jesus Christ. It's important for you to realise why you need to be made a new person. It's because in the old person, we are corrupt. We are utterly wicked. We're unacceptable to a holy God. Sin must be paid for. It strikes me that the word sin is a word that is falling out of the vocabulary of our nation. When was the last time that you heard the word sin used in the media? When was the last time that you heard or read of it in a newspaper? Yes, sometimes we'll come across the word depravity being used within the media. But they don't mean what scripture means by depravity. They use that word in a very selective way for one individual person who has done something that that the uh, society finds particularly obnoxious. It was used recently at the end of July of the antics and activities of a peer who fell into disgrace because of a sexual uh, lifestyle. But the word sin and the word depravity, um, as 
portrayed in the Bible are falling out of the national vocabulary. People, when they do such things as described here in this passage, tell a lie, steal, uh, when they commit sexual immorality, well, it was a mistake. It was an error of judgment. It was an oversight. It was a moment of weakness. But perhaps more disturbing today than the loss of the word and concept of sin in the national vocabulary is the loss of the word uh, sin in parts of the Christian church. It is possible today in Northern Ireland to go to churches and you will not hear the word sin, iniquity, or transgression spoken of. You could sit through a whole service. It could be several hours long. There'll be much singing. There will be some kind of message. I have been in situations where I've heard it being said from the pulpit You need Jesus to save you. But it's not from your sin. It's to give you a better life. Now we cannot be biblical Christians. And lose this vocabulary. We cannot be effective evangelistic churches that are going to see the lives of men and women and young people in our society transformed to the glory of God and lose the language of sin, iniquity and transgression. I'm reading numbers at the moment in my own quiet time. And... This passage has been before me, Numbers chapter 4, chapter 5, this week. And so um, uh, I want to speak this evening on particularly verses 5 to 10. I um, have been reading largely on my own, but um, and not using a commentary, but Gordon Caddy has a very excellent little commentary on Numbers. If you struggle... With reading the Old Testament, get Gordon Caddy, anything he's written on in the Old Testament. Get Dale Ralph Davis, anything he's written on in the Old Testament. Um, Alec Mateer, Stuart Olliott. There's lots of good material out there which lifts these passages and makes them live in the New Testament era. And... I am indebted to Gordon Keddy for this title this evening, Sin Must Be Paid For. And the points that I'm making are the points that he makes from this passage. So what does this passage teach us about sin and the fact that it must be paid for, it must be dealt with, or how it is dealt with? Well, the first thing we want to see is That it must be paid for, it has to be dealt with through confession. 
through confession. Verse 6 sets the context. When a man or woman wrongs another in any way. And so is unfaithful to the Lord. Do you notice the connection there? I cannot sin or do wrong to any person without being unfaithful to the Lord. Every sin that is committed at a horizontal level is also committed at a vertical level. And so is unfaithful to the Lord. That person is guilty. And we saw there from chapter 6 of Leviticus the kind of thing that was in mind. Somebody who deceives their neighbour in their word, uh, who's stolen from their neighbour, cheats their neighbour, swears falsely, and so on. In other words, the second half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Honour your father and mother. Uh, You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false testimony. You shall not covet. Those are the ways in which we show that we're Christians. That's how we show that we're not of the world, but that we are of Christ. There is a lifestyle that we live out, which is patterned on Jesus. For he kept all those commandments every moment of his life perfectly. So, when you or I sin and wrong, break uh, one of the second parts of the law from commandments 5 to 10, and we sin against a person, we sin against the Lord. We're guilty, we're told, verse 6. So what must we do? We must confess the sin he has committed. Sin must be confessed. Now this word confessed means owned up to. We've got to say it means that we've got to agree with what God says. And confession is not just And this is important as well from the context of the Christian church today. Confession is not saying sorry. That's again a phrase that the world has latched onto and uses and accepts instead of confession. So the politician or the public representative in whatever capacity that has been found out doing something wrong against someone else, they'll say, I'm I'm sorry. And they'll offer an apology. Well, that's not confession. Confession is saying, I am guilty in the sight of God. I am to blame. I am in the wrong. I have offended God, and I have offended humanity. By this. First John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful and will forgive us our sins. New Testament talks about confessing your sins to one another. 
So the first way that sin must be dealt with is confession. And confession secures reconciliation. When I confess my sin to God, that secures, that restores reconciliation with God. The vertical level. When I confess my sin to another against whom I've sinned, that opens up the way for reconciliation. Confession. If you're not a Christian tonight and you're wondering, what does it mean to become a Christian? How do I become a Christian? Well, here's the first step. It is to confess your sin. I am a sinner by nature in the sight of God. And I'm a sinner by deed. I'm a sinner uh, out of my own experience. Um, so I have original sin and I have actual sin. And that sin needs to be forgiven. That's the first thing. But then I want us to see this evening. Secondly, that sin is dealt with through restitution. Restitution. Boys and girls, that's a big word. That means to restore. To pay back. To put right the wrong of which we are guilty. Now, restitution is not always possible. If your eye kills someone, we cannot restitute you tell a lie it's hard to restitute someone who once had a problem with lying uh, as a Christian went to their minister and said you know what am I to do about this or how do I overcome this the minister counseled them and he said, the next time you're coming, I want you to bring a bag of feathers with you. From the start of your journey to you arrive with me, I want you to scatter them. And when the person arrived, he said, now I want you to go back and gather them all up. This is not possible. We can't restitute words. That's why it's so important that we're careful with words. What we say to people, what we say to one another, how we speak to one another. But there are things that can be restituted. And that's what Leviticus 6 is talking about. Uh, if you have uh, taken your neighbor's animal, you found it uh, when you're walking along the road. And it's wandering and you say, well, I'm not going to take it back to my neighbor. I'm going to take it home and put it in with my own flock and pretend it's mine. Well, you can clearly restitute when you're, when you're found out and when you've confessed to it. Then you can restitute. You are to give back the animal. Um, and there's various other ways in which restitution can take place as well. If something was entrusted to you and because of your carelessness, uh, an animal in the Old Testament got maimed or injured or killed and you had been careless. 
then you were to restore. And um, indeed, we see here, it wasn't just restoring what had been taken, but so that you would learn the seriousness of this, there was to be a fifth added. A fifth added. So, if somebody had stolen a hundred pounds from their neighbour, they had to pay back a hundred and twenty pounds. The principle of restitution. Why? Because there is a victim. There is somebody who has been wronged here. And if wrongdoing is not dealt with at a horizontal level, if there's not a recognition that it's wrong, then others are going to suffer. It's one of the great weaknesses of our justice system today. There's no restitution. It's one of the things that we hear people who've been affected by the troubles talking about. Listen to some of the talk shows and they'll talk about their loved ones that they lost. Soldiers, policemen, innocent people. And all the focus seems to be to them, in any case, on the terrorists and accommodating them. And there's no emphasis on restitution, putting things right, those who did wrong. Putting people in prison is not the right way to deal with someone who has stolen. That's not enabling them to face up to the reality of what they've done and to feel the pain and the consequence of what they've done. In the New Testament, we have a very clear example of restitution with several clear examples. Think of Zacchaeus, a tax collector. And he was going to restore not just the fifth, but he was going to give much more. And then you come to... um, this very interesting book called Philemon. And here's Paul. And Philemon's got a slave, Onesimus. And Onesimus has run away. And Onesimus has stolen from his master. What does Paul take on to do? Because Onesimus has nothing in this world. But is now a believer. Paul steps into the breach Of his debt that he owes. And he says to Philemon. I will repay you. I will put the record straight. Because Onesimus has now become to me. And he's been of great help to me. And in fact actually. I'm going to restitute your servant to me. I'm not going to allow Onesimus. To sit here in the comfort. Of where things are easy. Or easier. Alongside me the apostle. I'm going to send him back to be serving you. Very, very important as Christians that we have the concept of when we have sinned and done wrong against God, uh, uh, but in the breach of the second half of the law, the uh, commandments 5 to 10, we think about how can I put this right? How can I restitute? But then let's notice thirdly this evening, and finally this evening, that here we see in this passage, for sin to be put right, 
there's not only got to be confession and restitution where that is possible. There has got to be sacrifice. That means there's got to be shedding of blood. Shedding of blood. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm not saying that we go around now and we should be shedding blood tonight. But there had to be the shedding of blood in Bible times. Shedding of blood ultimately of Christ once for all. That's why we have no more shedding of blood. Because he has done it and it's finished once for all. But in the Old Testament before Christ shed his blood. There had to be the shedding of the blood of the animal. To put sin right cost the life of another. In the Old Testament the life of the animal. Or the bird. And in the New Testament, those animals, those birds are fulfilled in the cost that it was to Christ. His life was sinless as a man. But what was the cost? Laying it down. The shedding of his blood to cleanse from sin. First John 1 verse 7 puts it like this. The blood of his son, Jesus his son, purifies us from all sin. There had to be the shedding of innocent blood of another to cover the sins of the guilty one. And that's why here in Numbers with this reference to verse 8, along with the ram, with which atonement or payment is made for him. So it's never just enough. Sin's not paid for by a mere confession. Saying, I've done wrong against God and against man. It's not paid for when we have put things right as far as they can be put right. It is paid for and it's sorted, done and dusted when there is the shedding of blood. When we take shelter under the shedding of blood to cancel the debt of sin. And that means every time I sin, every time you sin, we must Go again to the Christ of the cross. And we must ask him to cleanse us from this particular sin of which I'm guilty at this moment in time. And if we don't do that, our sin has not been dealt with. For you, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, your sin is not covered. It's not paid for. It's not set aside by God until you have called.
called upon the Lord Jesus and said, Jesus, you lived a life without sin. You died a death for sin. Take away my sin. And how wonderful it is to read those verses in 1 John. The blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin. From all our sin. No sin is too big to be beyond the cleansing power of his blood. And no sin is too small not to need the cleansing application of his blood. A wonderful passage in Numbers here. And it reminds us to confess our sin. It reminds us to put right what we can after our sin. But it reminds us above all to know that it's only in Christ Jesus, the Saviour of the world, that sin is covered and cleansed. Amen.